Anybody excited to be here for church? Anybody thinking God's going to do something tonight? He is. He is. My name is Monty, and uh, I'm really excited that you're here. Uh, we, if you're new, I'm going to say what Casey already told you. Welcome home. We're really glad that you're here, and uh, really excited to meet you if I haven't already. Um, so in our church, we sometimes teach series where we pick a topic or something out of the Word, and we'll kind of pull it apart. And over the last four weeks, if you're new, our series is called Alien. And, it, and I'll get into why it's called that way, but we, we've been in this series and God's been showing us some things. But before we take it to the, the final step of this four-week series that we've been in, I want to take you back in a journey a little bit. See, because the journey before this alien journey started was the journey of Meadows Church. And 18 months ago, my family and I moved from a, a town called Sioux Falls to a city called Omaha, the Omaha area. And we moved with a, a, 11 other adults, came with us. They were crazy enough to say yes and came with us and their kids. And uh, it's been a ride. But I will tell you something. We, my family, we lived in a house in Sioux Falls for 15 years, okay? 15 years. We had a home, and we moved here, and we moved into an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment. So you go from a house for 15 years into a two-bedroom apartment, had a couple kids with us, my wife Jody and I. It, it got a little tense, okay, right away. Like God, I think God was looking down at the Gannons and saying, you know what? If they can make it through this in this apartment, they're going to be okay. And I would say to God, God, that's a big if because I don't know. The first day, I've shared this story before, but the first day we were there, first or second day, I don't remember which, but there's boxes everywhere and uh, the kids are excited and the apartment wasn't that clean when we got in there. And uh, I was looking around and there was a little uh, brown piece of something in the corner. Some of you have heard this story, but you can't make this stuff up. It's so good. There's this brown piece, and we don't have any pets. So I'm wondering, what is this little brown thing? So Jake comes running over. He says, Dad, what are you looking at? And I said, Jake, what is that? And he picks it up, and he licks it. And I said, Jake, don't. What, that, I said, that could be poop. And Jake is like, he pops it in his mouth. He's like, no, no, chocolate-covered raisin. I said, Jake, I mean, the Gannons are in Omaha. I mean, this is how it started. And it, it kind of got crazier from there. It was nuts. So we... Um, we're in this apartment. I never realized how loud our family was, Jody, until we got into a, a two-bedroom apartment. We're a very loud, obnoxious family. You need to know that straight up. Um, there, there was nobody underneath us the entire time we, the, we were in the apartment. They, if there was somebody underneath us, we wouldn't have made it 10 minutes. They would have kicked us out. That was God's blessing watching over us. But we are loud. And uh, one of the first days we were there, the kids, we moved during the school year, and the kids had to start school, and uh, they had to have their first day of school, and I was trying to meet people, plan a church, and Jody was still looking for a job, and it was tense, and I put Jake and Ava, so they're my 10-year-old and my 12-year-old, I put them to bed, and they're, now they're in the same room, right? They're sharing a bedroom for the first time in a long time, and they're excited about that, but they're in their beds, and uh, they're excited, and I said, we, we prayed with them, and I said, you guys, it's already late, we've been up late, you got school tomorrow, got to make a good impression, Jake, we don't want, you know, you got we don't want you to meet the principal tomorrow, okay, let's not do that, so... They go to bed, we pray, they go to bed, and, but they're still kind of excited. So I walk back into our bedroom, and I don't even get into the bedroom, and I hear the giggling and laughing. I'm like, all right, okay, they're excited. So I walk back into the room, and I turn the light on, and I say, kids, no more. I said, it's late, dad's got a church to plant, I don't even know what that means. Mom's got to find a job, you got school, quiet, no more, it's late. And, you know, I had to kind of throw down a little bit, you get it, dads, you understand. So, uh, moms, you get it too. So I shut the light off, I go back to my room, lay down. Um, rest for about 24 seconds, and I hear Jake and Ava laughing and like they're going crazy again, and then I hear little footsteps running around in the bedroom. I'm like, oh my gosh. 
So I get up. Jody says, I, you want me to go handle it? I said, no, nope, no. Nope, it started with me. It's going to end with me. So I get up. I walk in the bedroom. I, I, I flip the light on. And uh, Ava's in her bed laughing and giggling. And nobody's in Jake's bed. No, no one's in there. Don't know where Jake is. So I look at Ava. I said, where's your brother? She's like, she's laughing. She's like, oh, he's under the bed. I said, Jake, get out from under the bed right now. Enough of this. Get in your bed. Go to sleep. And I, I said it in about that tone. So um, they knew I was serious. So I said, guys, we've got to get to bed. I know that you're excited, but this is, let's end this. So I go back in my bedroom, and I'm laying there, and, you know, two, three minutes have passed by, and I'm starting to, you know, really contemplate maybe actually going to sleep. And, uh, and just when I'm about ready to sleep, um, you know where this is going. Uh, I hear some giggling, and then I hear some laughing. And pretty soon it sounds like Jake and Ava are wrestling like a mountain lion, and I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. So I, Jody knows, and I'm like, no, I'm doing this. So I go in there. And uh, I walk in there, and I flip the light on, and they're go- doing, going crazy. And uh, I don't know the exact verbiage I used, but it was something like, shut up! I, I, I know, I'm, I shouldn't say that, I know. But that's about what I said, and that's about how I said it. And all of a sudden, their, their eyes got to be about as big as grapefruits. And they're looking at me, and their, their covers are pulled up like this. And then Jake says, Dad, you're not supposed to use that word. And I said, Jake, I know Daddy shouldn't have said that. But if you knew what daddy was thinking, they would lock daddy up right now. So, you know, it could get worse. You know, it was bad. It was crazy. But this, is, this was my life for a few months. We lived in this apartment. But it was difficult. And God, we made it through that. And I say that because the one thing we didn't do in the apartment, because the apartment wasn't, it was, like I said, the, you knew the carpet was already dirty. But the carpet needed to be cleaned. Uh, the, the walls needed to be painted. The fixtures, some were broken. Some were just old. But we didn't, we didn't paint the walls. We didn't switch out the carpet. We didn't, um, we didn't change out the fixtures. And the reason we didn't do that in that apartment, because we knew it was going to be temporary. See, we knew we were just passing through. Like, tell three people right now that you're sitting by, I'm just passing through. Tell three people right now, I'm just passing through. See, you just gave the title of the message, we're just passing through. And so many times, I, I think that'd be like you going into the Holiday Inn and, and changing out the pictures and switching out uh, the, 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 uh, the paintings and the, the fixtures. You wouldn't do that because it's temporary. But how many times do we live in this world that, we, that we're learning in the series Alien? It's temporary. And the whole series, I'll, I'll give you the verse that has really been, that it's really been centered on. It's 1 Peter 2.11. Now, Peter's writing this, and this is in the New Testament. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, you're foreigners and aliens here. Like, you're a foreigner, you're a sojourner, you're an alien, you're a temporary resident just passing through. This is not our home. And so many times I think that we think, um, well, I'm a human being, and, I'm, and we're on earth, and we're having some sort of a spiritual experience, right? That's how a lot of people live. That's how I live most of my life. I'm a human, having some spiritual, this is a spiritual time right now, we're at church. But, but what if I told you we have that wrong? What if I told you, because look at what it, Peter used a very crucial word. The last word he used in that scripture, um, I didn't even finish it. Let me finish it. So I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. See, you're a soul wrapped in a body. Your soul is going to live on. Your body won't. The death rate hovers around 100% right now. It's still around there. Jesus kind of ruined the curve a little bit, but it's, it's high. We're going to die. We're going to die, but, but our spirit's going to live on. So let me go back. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, okay? That's what we are. You are a spiritual being, and you on this earth, you are having a human experience. Understand that you are going to live forever somewhere. 
You are. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about it because it's so exciting because if we truly understand that, we live differently. We love differently. We parent differently. We invest differently. Our whole life looks different when we understand that this isn't our home. So today, we're going to get a little crazy. We do that once in a while at Meadows Church. And uh, we're going to get into the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And the word Revelation literally means unveiling. So Revelation... Well, let me just set it up. If you brought a Bible or a mobile device, I always encourage you to go to the Scripture so you can highlight and underline. But Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 is where I'm going to be in just a moment. So uh, you can go there, and we'll put it up on the screens eventually here too. But uh, I'm going to set it up because I think it's so important that you understand, and I want to I help teach you that. Revelation was written by a guy named John, okay? John was one of the 12 disciples. So John... He, Revelation was written at 95 AD. So that's, that's actually 95 years after the birth of Jesus. Some people think AD stands for after death. It doesn't. So it's, um, it, it's, it's 95 years after the birth of Jesus. So Jesus lived 33 years on the earth, and then he died, and then he rose when he was 33 years old. So that means that it was written, what would that be, 95? 62, 62 years after his Math isn't my thing. Can I just say that? Man, I, I, I've heard it said this way. There's, there's three types of people in the world, right? Those who are good at math and those who aren't. Now, now some of you, I see, now if you don't get that, you're probably not good at math. But some of you driving home today, you're, you're going to get that, right? You're going to be like, oh my gosh, he's good. That was good. You're going to get it. Just give, give us some time. Um, so now I forget my, now I forgot what I was doing. Um, so back to Revelation. So, okay, John wrote the book. John was one of the 12 disciples, Okay one of Jesus' closest disciples. And the other 11 disciples, they all died. They were all, they were all killed. They were all murdered because of their faith. They believed so much in Jesus because they saw him alive, and then they knew he was dead, and then they saw him alive. And they're like, oh my gosh, when I see something like that, I'll give my life to that. And they did, literally. They were killed for their faith. It's called being a martyr when you're killed for your faith. All the 11 were killed except John. Now, but before you think, John's lucky. He's so, I mean, he got out of the... Don't be thinking he's too lucky. Because what you may not know is that the emperor at the time tried to execute John. And the only reason he lived is because God wasn't done with him. But John was literally boiled in oil. Now, now I don't know what kind of a morning you had. Maybe you stubbed your toe. You know, maybe you tripped or whatever. But you probably weren't boiled in oil. He was literally boiled in oil. That's how they tried to kill him. Didn't work. Couldn't kill him. So then they sent him off to some island called Patmos. Say Patmos kind of a weird name. You'll, we'll get more into that. But, but they sent, since they couldn't kill him, they sent him to an island. And, and, and I'll tell you again, the reason, John didn't, die, John didn't live because he was some extraordinary man that you couldn't kill. He could, they couldn't kill him because God wasn't done with him. Because God still had a purpose for him. God still needed Jesus to tell John what to write so we could have the book of Revelation. And somebody, you need to know this, maybe straight up right now, I need to encourage somebody and tell you something. That if your heart is still beating, and your lungs are still breathing, then God's not done with you either. And if he brought you this far, he's gonna see you through to the end. I promise you. So don't give up. Just tell you that. John was alive because God wasn't done with him. So Jesus speaks to John and tells him, I need you to write this down. This is gonna be in my word, the only book I put together. So John starts writing. And what you need to understand that's so crazy is the first three chapters of Revelation, that's already taken place. That's happened. Like, it's done. But then after that, this stuff is still to come. That's why it's called unveiling. God is still unveiling it. So there's things in there. I mean, Revelation's crazy. I mean, it can freak you out. You read some of that stuff, 
You might read a verse and think you've been, like, you took some LSD and maybe you did. I don't know, but it, it's weird. It gets weird. But what you need to know is this. Revelation is a beautiful book of love and hope if you know whose you are. Okay, that's what it is. So, but, but much of Revelation has not happened yet, but it will, I promise you. It will. But this has. Revelation 3 has taken place. Jesus is speaking to John. And, and, and the first three chapters, John, Jesus is having John write to seven churches. Seven churches that exist. And Jesus is saying, John, I need you to write this down because these churches need to hear from me. They need to know some things that they're doing good and some things that I think they could improve on. So the seven churches, do we have a map? Yeah, so the map right there. So Laodicea, you see it? It's down at the bottom there. Um, so you see Jerusalem, the big red circle. Jerusalem, that's where Jesus died. Bethlehem, right below that, that's where Jesus was born. Nazareth, where he grew up, where he hung out. And then the churches were all planted around there. So as we read the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John, Mark and Luke, this is where they planted churches. And seven of the churches are the seven churches that Jesus is speaking to in the first three chapters of Revelation. And Laodicea is the one that he's speaking to in Revelation 3. That's the one we're going to look at today. So that is so key. And Patmos, see Patmos over to the left uh, in red? That's where John is writing from. He's on that island writing this book to you and I. And this is incredible. So check this out. We'll start in the 15th verse. This is so good. So, so Jesus tells John, John, write this down. Tell the church in Laodicea this. Oh, by the way, Laodicea, the church there, it was the richest out of those seven churches. It was the most affluent church. It was the richest, the wealthiest. It would have had the nicest structure, the best statues. It would have looked all like real, real nice, right, compared to the others. Just know that. Jesus says, I know all the things that you do, because he's God, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, Jesus says. But since you're like lukewarm water, I spit you out of my mouth. One translation says, I vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that's pretty strong language from Jesus. But he's making a point to them. And, 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 and I mean, in lukewarm, Jesus is saying lukewarm is not good. He's like, at least cold people, man, if they're atheists, at least they know what they stand for. If they love me and they're living for me, they know what they stand for. But don't be like, like, eh, you know, just showing up, like I did most of my life, showing up for church, checking it off the list, but living my own life. That's what was happening in Laodicea. But there's, and there's something about lukewarm. It, it's just not good. Like, I got, I got a couple of drinks over here, and uh, I'll ask Casey to come up here and help me with this. And, uh, but hot chocolate, who here loves a good cup of hot chocolate? Yeah. It's getting cold, too, so I love hot chocolate. This is Coca-Cola, ice cold. Who likes ice cold Coke? I like them both. I like them both. Casey, let's move it out a little bit. Pressure. That's good right there. And then Mabry. Mabry. I got Mabry coming up too. They don't know what they're getting into. I love that. That's the funnest part of church. Um, so here's some hot chocolate. Mabry, I asked her before the service, what do you, what's your preference? She says, I love hot chocolate. That's yours, Mabry. You're welcome. And uh, Casey, you love cold Coca-Cola, you said. So that's yours. So we're going to give you a countdown. We're going to say one, two, three. We'll count all together. It's fun. And then you're going to take a big swig, and you're going to take a big swig all at the same time. Let's just party, okay? Because you love ice cold Coke, and you love hot, hot, hot chocolate. That's what you told me. You told me that? You told me that. Okay. So let's count together. Ready? Let's count to one, two, three. Ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and take a nice big drink. Good? Is it good? It's not? Was it hot? Was it real cold? No? Kind of lukewarm? Yeah, yeah. How about yours? Very lukewarm? 
You know why that is? So I, I made, or I, I bought that about three days ago. So that's been sitting right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made that about three days ago. So you're welcome. You guys want to take it with you or just leave it up here? You're good with it up here? All right, yeah, that's cool. Whatever. So give it up for them. That was nice that they came up here. So what they're illustrating, so Jesus is saying, you, you got to pick one. Pick something, he says. But, okay, check this out. There's dual meaning here. Because Jesus would know that the Laodiceans, they know lukewarm. So again, it's a rich church. They have about everything they need, but you know what they don't have in Laodicea? Can you put the map back up for a second? You know what they don't have in Laodicea? They don't have hot water or cold water in the city. Do you know why? Because just the way the water worked there. So, right, I have a little pointer you can kind of see. I bought this just for this, so please entertain me. So, so... Laodicea is here. Right above is not on this map, but right above is Heropolis. Say Heropolis. Heropolis. Below, right here, gosh, I'm shaking. Too much coffee. Um, below is Coloss. Say Coloss. So those are two cities that aren't on this map, but they exist. Coloss is actually the Colossians. Remember, Paul wrote a book in the Bible called Colossians. He wrote it to that church in Coloss and to the Laodiceans. He said, he said give it to them too. So Heropolis above, known for their boiling springs, their hot water. Coloss below, you know what they're known for? Pure cold water. So Laodicea has neither. So they build an aqueduct from those two cities to get the water piped into Laodicea. But guess what? By the time each pipe got to Laodicea, guess what it was? You already know, don't you? It's lukewarm. They couldn't do it. It was lukewarm. So the one thing that this city would detest is anything lukewarm. So, and Jesus knew that. That is so, that's so key. So Jesus knew they would get it. At least he was hoping they would. Verse 17. Jesus is speaking to John. John's writing it down to all of us and to these guys. You say, church, you're rich. You have everything you need. You don't need a thing. But you don't realize this. You're the richest church out of the seven, but you don't realize you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Gosh, Jesus, how do you really feel, right? He's coming down. He's saying, you think you have it all, but you're missing everything. And, and they would not see themselves this way. Verse 18, so I advise you, buy gold from me. Now for Jesus to tell a very rich church in a very affluent city to buy something from him, it would not make sense. Jesus, says, Jesus is saying, this is exactly what you need. Buy gold from me, not just gold that you're maybe thinking of, but gold that's been purified by fire. He's talking about his Holy Spirit. Then you will be rich. And then Jesus says, buy white garments from me. You know what Laodicea was known for? A few things. Their money, their clothing, and their medical supplies. That's what they were known for. So Jesus has already addressed, you need, you need gold from me. You need white garments from me. You know what he's talking about with white garments? He's talking about the righteousness of Jesus. That is the white garments. He's saying, you might have clothing that is like this, but you need me, the righteousness of Jesus, that doesn't fade away, that doesn't, uh, is a flash in the pan. You need something that I can give. But listen to the last thing he says. He's talked about, he's talked about riches. He's talked about white garments. And then he says, and you need ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Laodicea was known for their ointment, uh, for the eyes, literally. Jesus knew that. And he says, you need ointment from me because you think you can see so well, but you're blind. Remember he said they were blind, they were naked. Jesus is saying, you think you have everything that you need and you have nothing. You're missing it. <laughs> Jesus wanted him to know. And just when we think, Jesus, gosh, Jesus, you're kind of mean. You're kind of coming down kind of harsh on them. Just when you can think that, look at the next verse. It's probably the most beautiful verse. I mean, look at this. Verse 19, I love it. Jesus says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. I love that. 
Jesus isn't, he's not mad at them. He's not unrighteously angry at them. You know, parents, you know that. Man. We, sometimes you have to discipline, you have to correct. We love our kids. We want what's best for our kids. It's painful at times sometimes, but we, we love them. We're doing it to, to, to protect them and keep them safe and nurture them. And Jesus says it. I love it. Everyone I love. In other words, Jesus is saying, John, write it down. Tell them I love them. I'm disappointed because they're missing it. I want life for them. So he says, be diligent and turn. Say turn. Turn from your indifference. In other words, turf, turn from your, eh, eh, I'm not hot. I'm not cold. I'm just, eh. And Jesus says, turn from that. And this brings us to like the main point, and you could say it's the main point of the series, but nothing, nothing that this world offers will ever compare to what Jesus offers. It never will. It will promise you everything. It will deliver nothing in the end. I promise you, the church in Laodicea thought they had it all. Jesus says, you have nothing, nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. This is, this is in the New Testament as well. Another church, uh, that you don't see it on the map, but it's called Corinth. And it's in Rome in that area. And uh, uh, Paul writes this down. He says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. In other words, to see if you're lukewarm or you're hot or you're cold, whatever. It makes me think of a Katy Perry song, but that's, I'm not even going to sing that. So I want you to stick around. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the, the, the test of genuine faith. So if Jesus is telling us there's a genuine faith, that means there's a disingenuine faith. And I think, I would tell you that was my faith most of my life. I'll talk about that a little bit more. But that was me. Jesus was talking to me along with his church in Laodicea. So I want us to examine our faith. And this is, okay, one thing I need to mention, who is Jesus writing to in the first three chapters? Remember who? Is it what kind of organization? A church, right. He's writing to the churches. So he's writing to people that say, I'm a believer of Jesus. So some of you, you're not even believing in Jesus. And thank God you're here. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for coming. Just let this soak in. But I don't want to convict you too much because Jesus, Jesus, he's talking to the people that would say, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. That's who he's addressing. So if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus or you're just kind of wondering about your faith, man, just soak this in. Let the spirit move and let's see what God does, okay? Is that fair? But this, to test your faith for the ones like me that would say I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, this is, what, this is where we can test ourselves. And I read a book, gosh, it was probably five, six years ago already now, and it was um, by Francis Chan called Crazy Love. Anybody heard of that book? It's a, it's, it's a pretty well-known book if you're, you know, if in church circles anyway. And I read the book, and there's a section in there where this pastor named Francis Chan, he broke, he's talking about uh, Revelation 3, and he's talking about being lukewarm. And he started writing these things that describe lukewarm today. And I remember reading his examples, and I'm not kidding you, I was convicted everyone. And I would, at the time, I would say, I'm a believer of Jesus. I'm sold out to Jesus. Jesus is first in my life. And I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, I'm not an alien. I'm living like everybody else in the world. I look no different than an unbeliever. That was, that was my story. That was me. So I want to read some of these examples. And I just want you to just ask God, God, what are you saying to me? Is this describe me? This is for people that would say, I'm a believer of Jesus. But he says, the first thing he said is this. And it's, of course, the church. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. That was me. It's what's expected of them. It's what good Christians do. It's what a good Christian does. 
I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church every weekend. But I'll tell you, for most of the time I went to the church, it was checking it off the box. I wasn't really listening. I wasn't really wanting to learn. I wasn't really attentive. I was just like, whatever, I'm here, I'm gone. Let's get out and let's get on with life. That's the way that I lived. That, that was me. So that hit me right, right that hit me so big. I, like the biggest threat, it, it's not atheism. It's not, it's not the things that we think about every day. The biggest threat I think to the church today are lukewarm Christians. That's the biggest threat. It, it, it was me saying I'm a follower of Christ, but I really had no interest in following Christ. Does that make sense? Th- that's what I was. I wanted the benefits. Jesus, I mean, if you're real for one thing, I want the benefits. I want the blessings. I want your promises. If heaven is real, I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to follow too closely that you might ask anything of me. That's where I was. That's where I was. And some people will say, well, that's exactly why I don't go to the church. That's why I don't go to the church, because there's lukewarm Christians, fake Christians, hypocrites. And I would say to you, yeah, there are. But at least they're in church. That's what I would say. The ch- Remember who Jesus is writing to in Revelation? He loves his church. Okay? He lo- the church is his bride. That's what the Bible says. And he's, he's spending the last words that he ever told somebody to pen talking to churches because he loves them and he believes in them. Are they messed up? Yes. My gosh. Is Meadows messed up? The moment you walked in here, it was all jacked up. All right? And the moment I walked in, it got even more screwed. So I, that's where we're at. But it's still God's church. It's still the bride of Christ. And I would tell you this. The problems of the local church, they're, they're, not, they're nothing compared to the promise of the local church. And when we as the church come together in unity and in love, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail. That's what it says. That's the power of the church. You want to know the power of this church, what God has done since we launched a year ago? 90 people have given their lives to Jesus Christ. This is the church. This is the church. That's what we want. I want to be on fire for Jesus. But I don't get it right a lot. And maybe you're in the same boat I've been in. Another description that Francis would give, lukewarm people give money to charity and to church as long as it doesn't affect their standard of living. Well, if they have a little extra and it's easy and safe to give, they do so. Again, that would describe me. Most of my Christianity life. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and I did. And he is indeed a part of their lives, but only a part. They'll give him a section of their time, a section of their money, a section of their thoughts, but he's not allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Jesus, yet they do not act. They assume such actions are for extreme Christians, not average ones. <laughs> I've shared the story about when we were getting ready to launch Meadows Church, and I was casting vision in Sioux Falls, where I moved from, and a guy was talking to me, a, a guy in the church where I came from. And he said, so you're, you're starting a church in Omaha. I said, yep, I, sounds like it. I mean, I think so. And he said, uh, do you know anybody in Omaha? I said, no, no one. And he said, uh, well, your wife, Jody, does she have a job lined up there? I said, nope. Well, do you know where your kids are going to go to school? I said, I, somewhere, because I'm not homeschooling them. I'll tell you that right now. So I, but I know, I don't know. I don't know. He said, well, do you have a place for the church to meet? I said, nope. He said, do you know where you're going to live? I said, nope. He said, Monty, he goes, <laughs> he goes, that doesn't sound like it's that good of an idea. And I remember listening to him and hearing that. And I didn't say it audibly, but I wish I would have now. And I thought to myself, it is not. It, really, on paper, 
It's not a good idea. But we learned at the end of the day, it was a God idea. See, and we just believe that where God guides, he provides. And from what I'm looking at, God's doing a pretty good job building his church. This is what I believe. So, and I don't, I don't tell you that to like pat myself on the back like I'm all, trust me. There are so many times that God put stuff before me that I went the other way, that I would shrink back, that I said no. And, and I don't even, I, I, I talk about me moving from Sioux Falls. You know, we had 11 people, 11 adults and families come with us. Man, I just told them, you drink this Kool-Aid and you do whatever God tells you to do. You know, that's what I said. But I want to say, I want to do something real quick. If you're, if you move from Sioux Falls to plant this church, you or your kids, and you're in here right now, I want you to stand real quick. I just want you to stand up wherever you're at. Can you give it up for these guys real quick? Give it up for them. Amazing. Amazing. Blows me away. Blows me away. They would leave family. They would leave jobs. Some of them left full-time ministry to work in the world because I said, I can't pay you a dime. And they, you know, and they still said yes. And I was like, God, you're in this. And I would say, I would applaud you as well who didn't stand because you're here today in a church that's just over a year old and you're trusting that God is doing something supernatural. And some of you stepped in when we were meeting in a house basement, you were really drinking something because, I mean, who does that? But some of you did that. And I applaud you. Because you're stepping out in faith in something that's very new, but we know God's doing something. I can't even describe to you the stories that are happening in our church, and I love it, and I never want it to stop. But it's because people are stepping out in faith and saying, I don't know it all, but I, do, but I am going to trust God. And that's what, that's, what, that's what stepping away from lukewarm is all about. I love that. It's not a good idea. It's a God idea. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, their coworkers, their friends. They don't want to be rejected. That's pretty standard for a lot of people. Nor do they want to make people uncomfortable talking about private issues like religion, okay? That's pretty normal. A stat said that like 2% of people invite. I don't know if it's that low. I'd be sad if it is, but it might be. I, I already know our church is way above that, and it's going to get way above that. And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how to have conversations with people. It's not as difficult as people think. It isn't. There's a way you can have a conversation without them wanting to call the cops on you. It's awesome. I'm going to show you how. It'll be great. So, but, but most people don't share their faith, okay? That's, that, that's a, uh, I can't wait till our next series starts next week. Goals, it's going to be incredible. So you got to come back. Uh, don't come here, though. We will not be in this building. We will be back where we normally meet at the Beardmore Event Center. But uh, lukewarm people will serve God and others. But there's limits to how far they're going to go, to how much time, to how much money, how much energy they're willing to give. Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more than eternity. Say alien. Alien. We don't belong to this world. We live in it, but we're not of it. But most people think about this world more than others. Daily life is mostly focused on our to-do lists, our this week's schedule, next month's vacation, but rarely do lukewarm people consider the life that is to come. So the guy that wrote the book Crazy Love, Francis Chan, I'm not going to try to duplicate his little segment because he's so good, but I want you to watch the screen for about two and a half minutes because he gives a, he gives a, a, a teaching on, well, just watch. Imagine this rope, okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever, okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever, now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. 
You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? about this what about this what about what about all this stuff it's just it's crazy to me because because the bible teaches that what i do during this little red part determines how i'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever and and so why would i spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible enjoying myself as much as i can Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now. Just to enjoy right now. Not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying down here. It's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's, it's this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line, and I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining. He goes, I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out, and I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges, and he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me, because I'm going to pass that line well. It's a powerful illustration. It's convicting, and uh, I, I saw it. It just hit me very hard because I'm with you. I mean, most of my days, a lot of my days, I do focus way more too much on this world. And I think we can all be guilty of that at times. I mean, we're human, but yet we're a spiritual being having a human, or we're, we're a spiritual being having a human experience. The last example that I read out of his book said, lukewarm people don't live by faith at the end of the day. They don't. God says in the word, he says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say that it's difficult. He literally says in the word, it is impossible to please God unless you have faith. But lukewarm people do not live by faith at the end of the day. 
and I didn't most of my life. And you know why? He, he points it out. Their lives are structured so they never have to. We don't have to live by faith. If something unexpected happens, we've got a savings account, right? If something goes down, there's the retirement plan, right? It, it, we, but we live for day to day. We don't depend on God on a daily basis. Why? Because our refrigerators are stocked. The closet's full. And the, and the doctor and the pharmacist is just a phone call away. That's why we don't. And the last sentence he said is when I started to cry. He said, the truth is, their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. And I, and, I, and I was sitting there alone reading this book and I thought, that's me. Because that day, if I were to just denounce my faith and stop believing in God, nothing really radically would change. It, not in my life, it wouldn't. And I just don't wanna, I just don't wanna get to the end, like he talked about the race. I don't wanna get to the end of my race and miss it. We think we're gonna miss out on the joys that this world brings. Jesus says, there's so much joy that I have for you that you're missing out on. We're missing the joy when we don't live by faith. We're thinking, we live for the worldly things. Remember, the, Jesus told the church in Laodicea, you have nothing. They thought they had it all. That letter would shock them when they would get that from John, trust me. It would shock them. What? We're not lukewarm. Look at our church, look at our building, look at our giving. We give, we tithe, we love others. We read the word. Yeah. Jesus says, you're missing it. You're lukewarm, you're eh. I wrote another question. I worded it differently. Has my relationship with Jesus changed the way I live? And you could ask yourself the same question. If you're a believer of Jesus, if you're, if you're not, I'm, again, I'm glad you're here. Just, just listen and let us love you after the service and we'll eat together. But if you're a believer, has your relationship with Jesus Christ changed the way you live? You'll know. And people around you will know. You won't, like, if, if your life looks normal to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, you're probably lukewarm. That's how my life looked most of my life. I know all about it. My sister, I got four sisters and one brother. One of my, when one of my sisters got married, um, she describes a comical scene of after you get married, you have a wedding dance normally and you party and, you know, uh, hang out and dance till two in the morning. Well, they didn't plan their wedding real, real well, I don't think. So if you, maybe you're engaged or maybe you're going to get married someday, lean in because this is just good advice. But if you're going to party till two in the morning, don't book your honeymoon where you fly out at like 4.30, okay? Don't do that. That's torture. And they did that. So they woke up. I don't even know if they went to bed. All I know is she said we were late at the airport. We're running through the airport, bags flying, clothes hanging out of the suitcase. Look like they look like aliens. They're running, and she describes a scene. I wish they would have got it on video. Dang it. They were running, and they're running up an escalator that's going down. Okay? Now, when you're doing that, people are gonna look at you differently. That's good. People are gonna look at you annoyed, but they're literally running up an escalator where people are gradually going down. And I thought of that, and I thought, that's life. Because we're never standing still in life. You never are. See, we live in a world that's sinful, and it's, it's, it's worldly. You get, most of you get that. So the world's always going downward on this escalator. Always is. There is no staying still. That's why you got to fight to get closer to Jesus. you got to fight to not be lukewarm. And, and it, it, it's, it's an everyday battle, but it's so worth it. And I think about them running up that escalator and everybody looking at them like they're crazy, like they're aliens, like they're weird, and they're running up it. And I think that's what I want. I want that. I want, I, 
it, it makes me think of a, a conversation I had three weeks ago. I think it was three weeks ago. I love talking to first-time guests. If this is your first time, I hope I get a chance to talk to you today. Um, I, I met a, a, a young guy after the service, and he's talking to me, and I said, hey, well, th- thank you for coming. I said, what do you think of the service? And he looks right at me, and he said, you're loud. I said, yeah, I am. I said, that's true. That's true. I didn't take it personally. I just kept talking to him. And what he, after talking to him a little bit longer, you know what he, what he, what he was meant to say? You're passionate. And, and, and I get it. I am. I am. And that will never, I hope that never changes. But when you've been, most of you know, I was a drug addict for years and tried to ruin everything in my life, ruined a lot of it. And when, when Jesus meets you and he changes you, you will be passionate about it. Something in you will change and you will know it. Like if you're questioning, am I a believer? Do I, am I lukewarm? If you're questioning, you probably are. But I believe that Jesus followers, I believe that the church, uh, I believe that a Christian, I think we should be the most passionate people on the planet because we've got like the best news in the world, don't we? Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you're not even sure. What do you mean best news? Jesus, the guy that put together that letter to go to the churches and like wrote the entire Bible, This Jesus is God's son, and he came to earth to die for you and I. See, see, the the Bible says when you screw up, which we all do, the Bible says that something's got to cover it. Something's got to die. For something to live, something must die. That's just the wages of sin is death. So Jesus, or God sent Jesus, the ultimate perfect sacrifice. Jesus never screwed up. Jesus never sinned. You know, he probably never told his kids to shut up, right? He didn't have kids, but whatever, you know what I'm saying. So um, don't get all theological on me. So, but what I'm saying is Jesus came for us and he died for us. And when you accept that and you believe that, it is not just a prayer that you pray. That might be the beginning of it, but it's a personal relationship that changes your life. That's what it is. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what will change you. This is what will make you new. And for some of you here today, this is why you're here. Maybe you're hearing this and you're like, I'm lukewarm, I'm that guy, I'm that church. This is why you're here. It's time to get back on track. You can recommit tonight and watch what God does in your life. He will blow your doors off. Maybe you don't believe and you're like, maybe this is real. Maybe Jesus is true. Maybe the Bible is, and you're gonna commit. Whatever it is, I promise you won't regret it, but it's the best news in the world, this relationship with Jesus. Because what the world offers compares to nothing to what Jesus offers. So what does he offer, Pastor? This is what he offers you, if you don't know it. Forgiveness. I wonder if anybody needs that in this place tonight. Lord knows I do. Forgiveness. Freedom from the bondage that you're in. From what you're looking at. From where you're going. To fill a void that it will never fill. Freedom. Forgiveness. Security. That's what the good news will do. Purpose. Meaning. Strength abundance, love. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what he offers. You know what the good news does? It settles your past. It assures your future. And it gives meaning and purpose to today. It is the best news in the world. And I'm going to scream until somebody gets excited in this place. He's a good God. And he loves you. He is not mad at you. He is drawing you in. He loves you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you, how you've treated your spouse or your kids or how you've screwed up in your life. He knows it. He knew it thousands of years ago and he came for you anyway. That's how much he loves you. Three more verses out of Revelation. Let's finish it out. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. 
if you hear my voice and you open the door, because I'm not gonna barge in, I'm not gonna blow the door down, I'm not that kind of a God. I am a God that waits for you. See, salvation, people think, well, I'm just, you have to cooperate with God. It's not just, oh, I'm saved. Well, if you accept the gift, you are, right? If you, if, if, if you open the door and let him in, you are. The gift is for everybody, but the Bible says few take it. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I love that. He wants to be your friend. Loves you so much. Just like we're going to share a meal today. He wants to share a meal with you. The most intimate of settings. Those who are victorious will sit with me. Remember the rope that goes around and around? Those who are victorious will live those days and those years and that millennium on my throne with me just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. That's, that's, not, that's not a building, that is a people, that's you and me. And Jesus says, I love you and I died for you. I don't want you lukewarm. I know you're gonna be tempted to be that way. That's why every day is a surrender. Surrender to him. Let him love you today, tomorrow, and forever. And I promise you, your life will change. I wanna invite the rest of the team to come up and I'm gonna pray for you. And as I pray and as we close in worship, we're gonna start with dessert, if it's okay with you. Sometimes I do that just in case I get too full and then I'd not, because I love dessert. Dessert around here is communion. And communion is for believers. So if you're not a believer, it's okay. I love you. I'm so glad you're here, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do this. But I'd love to talk to you. But we're gonna do communion and the guest services, once the music starts, they'll, I think they'll usher you row by row to come up and then, then just sit back down and then Sarah will release you so we can start the, the main course. But, it, but in my opinion, this is the main course, dessert and everything. There's bread on the table. There's drink on the table. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. The drink represents the blood of Jesus. The Bible would say that when you take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did. And I have already explained it, I hope, that you understand by now that Jesus Christ died on a cross, but he did not stay dead. He did not stay dead. Three days later, that man, that God, broke forth from the tomb to defeat sin and defeat death so you would not have to live lukewarm anymore. You would not have to live in addiction anymore. You would not have to live in mediocrity anymore, but you would be able to thrive and live in abundance with him. That's why he did it. And this is a celebration of that. So we wanna do that. So I'm gonna pray for you. And this is what I wanna start saying. I want you, I want this to be a church where you do whatever God, not what I'm telling you to do. I don't wanna tell you what to do. I want God, that's his job. I'm gonna preach the word to you. And God will do his, God will do what he always does. Love you like you've never been loved before. But be obedient to whatever he's telling you to do. Maybe it's filling out a card. Maybe it's praying with a prayer team. Maybe it's having a conversation with somebody. Um, whatever it is, just do it. This is, we love you. This is your family. We love you. Father, I want to thank you so much. God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth. I love it. Verse 19, I can't get it off my mind. I correct you and I discipline you because I love you. I love you. You love us too much 
to leave us where we're at, to leave us in our dysfunction, to leave us in our hurt, to leave us in our pain, to leave us in our struggle. Tonight, you say, you know what? You don't have to stay there anymore. I came to set you free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. God, we believe it today. I lift up every person in this place. God, I may not know exactly what everybody is going through, but I know someone who does. That would be you. Minister to them right now, God. Let them feel your presence wash over their body and wash over their soul, God. May they feel the warmth and love of you that only that you can give. We love you so much. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. Gospel means good news. You died, you rose, and we can live with you and for you, not just today, but forever in abundance. No more lukewarm. We want to be white hot for you, God. Help us do that. It's not easy. We're going to be tempted to go back and live the way the world lives. Help show us the right way. Surround others around us. Keep loving us. Thanks for not giving up on us. Thank you for always being there for us. And God, we thank you so much that in you, the best is yet to come. We believe it and we declare it in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Hey, wherever you are, thanks so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you did. And if this blessed you in any way, man, we would love for you to subscribe to this channel, follow us on social media, and stay connected with us. And let me say most importantly, if you are ready to give your life to Christ or you want to make a decision for Jesus today, we would love it, man. Connect with us. Contact us at hello at meadows.church. Again, hello at meadows.church. Let us know what God is doing in your life. And know this, God loves you and the best is truly yet to come.